I thought you would be interested in the card that my son sent his mother. Uh, He's one of those guys who's always looking for something crazy, and, and he comes up with these kinds of things. And this card arrived yesterday, and it goes like this. Mom, you sure had to put up with a lot of obnoxious behavior over the years. Then you open it up, and it says, but enough about Dad. (laughs) And then at the bottom, it says, P.S., don't show this to you-know-who. He and I are going to have to have a talk. Uh, he lives in Idaho, and uh, he's kind of a crazy guy. I read this week about a young man who was training to be a, uh, uh, a police officer. And in his training, they asked him, um, what would you do if you had to replace your mother or, or arrest your mother? And uh, without, a, without a flinch, he said, I'd call for backup. <laughs> Ladies, we have a gift for you this morning. It's this wonderful watering pitcher with a flower in it. And we want every one of you mothers to have one. They're out in the foyer. Pick one up before you go. And I hope you don't think we don't have enough or or you don't want to take one. I want every one of you to have one. And if you're one of those who doesn't take one, and we have 85 of them left over, it's going to show up on your doorstep. All 85 of them. So uh, be sure to get one. Mother's Day is a special day. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about that from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And I'd like to talk about a first century mother. And maybe there are some things that uh, we can learn from a first century mother that a young mother can pick up today and and learn to emulate a little bit. Um, We read from uh, the writings of King Solomon that every home is built on three primary tools. Uh, They are these. Wisdom. And I define wisdom for you as seeing life from God's perspective. That becomes a very important concept. Because if we don't see life from God's perspective, we are probably not going to see life from a real point of view. We have to understand that God is active in our lives. We have to understand Paul's truth from Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we are people who live with God. And God has input into our lives. 
And it's good to teach children that wisdom is understanding what God is doing at any given time or what God is thinking or how what I'm doing fits in with God. The second thing is understanding. Understanding is the skill of responding to insight. Understanding is the ability to be able to uh, respond to certain situations and certain circumstances with insight that we have already acquired uh, from someone else or from some other situation. And the third one is knowledge. And I call knowledge learning with perception. It's important, you, you know, it's, it's one thing to learn something. It's another thing to forget it five minutes later. But if we learn something and we perceive what we have learned, then that learning, that knowledge becomes usable. We find this concept in uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 24, uh, verses 3 and 4. The passage goes like this. By wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And the words rare and beautiful treasures in the New American Standard Version are translated precious and pleasant riches. So what are a few of these precious and pleasant riches that are acquired by the child from the mother? Well, there are character traits. Um, Children gain character from being in the home. And the mother has an incredible opportunity to pour character into her children. The second one is unerasable memories. You know, um, we had two children, and sometimes we will get together with our two children, and they will start talking about things past. And they will start with the, do you remember when, a lot of it is, do you remember when dad did? Uh, My wife's uh, one of four siblings, and when they get together, I just need to take a walk someplace because they're talking about their childhood and all of their old friends, and, and by now they're very old, and uh, uh, all of the things that took place in the past. It's good to give our children unerasable memories, things they will never forget. And some of those memories are not necessarily good. Some of them are memories that were bad at the time, and, and we learn from them. And children, that's where wisdom comes in, when children can learn from the stuff of the past. And then there are lasting and deep relationships. We have the potential to put into our children the priority of lasting and deep relationships. Remember what we said a few weeks ago? 
Jesus is primarily interested in people. That's why he constantly says, feed my sheep, shepherd my lambs, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Because people were of primary importance to Jesus. And if we can communicate to our children that these relationships is what will make or break them over the years, we will be able to help them. So we take a look then at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to a young man. He is a young in ministry. He has had hands laid on him. He has probably had his ordination. He may be at this time the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the church of Ephesus. A lot of idolatry. And Timothy is dealing with a lot of bad stuff going on in Ephesus. And Paul writes to young Timothy. And he says that Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were very important in his life. And you draw out of this passage five things that this grandmother and mother taught Timothy. And I want to give them to you one by one. The first one is, ladies, you contribute transparent tenderness to your children. Transparent tenderness. Some of us men find it hard to learn transparency. Some of us men find it even harder to be tender. Uh, I spent half a lifetime before I learned how to cry. When I learned, I learned good. Uh, But I grew up in a background that uh, didn't show me much of that. Uh, I, I grew up without a mother. There were a number of women who came into my life. God brought one woman into my life whose name was Grace Killian. She's now home with the Lord and has been for many years. But it was because of Grace Killian and the ministry that she had in my life that I accepted Christ in the first place, that I became a Christian, that I sat at her dinner table with her family and learned what manners was. And I learned what, what not to do and what to do. And Grace Killian taught me those things. And one of the things I began to see, even though it took me years to learn how to practice it, was this uh, transparent tenderness that I saw come out of grace. You see that in this passage in verses 3 and 4. Paul is saying, I thank God... I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did and a clear con- with a clear conscience as my- night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. Circle those words. Recalling your tears. I remember when you cried. I remember the transparent tenderness 
you know, it's, when a man cries, it's sort of like he lets it all hang out. It's sort of like he, you get a look into his soul that you don't get a look at the rest of the time. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So the idea is, is that mothers have the ability to teach children how to be tender, how to be transparent. Here's the second one. And, and by the way, ladies, I think that if we buy into the modern-day feminist concept, we tend not to be able to teach that principle of transparent tenderness because women tend to have a different heart in them. The second one is you contribute authentic spirituality to your children. Now, there's a lot of translations on this authentic spirituality. I'm calling it authentic at this point. If you're using King James, it may say something like an unwavering faith. Uh, If you're using the New American Standard, it calls it a sincere faith. Uh, I believe NIV may call it a sincere faith. He says in verse 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. So that's where at least it was. It may have started there. We're not sure about that. Lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded lives in you also. Now, the word sincere faith is an interesting term. You have heard that the Greek word hypocritas has been transliterated into the English hypocrite. Well, this is that word, hypocritas, only it's the negative side of it. It's unhypocritas, which means unhypocritical, not hypocritical. So when he talks about a sincere faith, he's talking about an unhypocritical faith. Isn't that the desire of every parent is that our children would have not just faith, but that it would be faith that wouldn't be violated or hypocritical when they are put in those strained circumstances with neighbors, friends, and perhaps relatives who want to lead them astray. See, we can deposit facts into the minds of our children. We want our kids to excel in school. We want our children to learn the facts. And we can deposit facts into their minds. But if we don't model that information, and that's what mothers do so much of the time, they model this kind of spirituality. They model this kind of faith. And time and time again, you will hear a child say, I am the man or the woman that I am because I followed my mother's example. Time and time again, you will hear someone say, I received Christ because my mother prayed for me every day. Carolyn's grandmother 
had seven children. And one of them didn't come know the Lord, didn't come know the Lord. She prayed for him every day, every day, more than one time a day. And then she died and went home to be with the Lord. And after she was dead, he accepted Christ. Because mom modeled authentic spirituality. And, and, and mom, you can translate truth into authentic living. You are able to model this kind of truth. Uh, you are able to take that and turn it into living in the home, in the kitchen, in the family room, in the laundry room, every place that you are. And your children will watch that and see that. Number three is you contribute inner confidence to your children. In other words, you are able to communicate to them what they can be in life. Carolyn's daddy was the most encouraging man I ever met. He would tell Carolyn in her childhood years, you can do anything you want to do. I grew up in a background where I was called the local dummy. I, uh, uh, I, I didn't like school. I flunked the first grade, and I flunked the fifth grade, and I flunked the eighth grade, and I graduated. In June, I graduated, and in October, I turned 21 years old, and everybody thought of me as a dummy. And... Uh, my dad would tell me, you are dumb. You are stupid. He would say, you will never amount to anything. And, uh, and the result of that is, when it came time for me to go to seminary, my father-in-law was alongside of me saying, Rich, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Carolyn was saying, Honey, you can do this. And that's what we give to our children. The kind of inner confidence that says, I can do it. I can do it. Mom says I can do it, so I can do it. So you look at the passage and you see in, in verse 6 and 7 these words where it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul put his hands on Timothy and said, Timothy, you are a preacher. Paul was perceptive of the fact that he had a spiritual gift and he was able to exercise that spiritual gift. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power. Circle the word power. That's that inner confidence. It's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. And in this case, it's not talking about something explosive. It's talking about an inner strength and an inner might to be able to do something that we otherwise wouldn't think that we could do. And number four, ladies, is that you contribute unselfish love your children. 
probably the moms do this even better than the dads do to communicate unselfish love. Um, We find ourselves in situations sometimes where there's one more piece of chicken on the platter and Carolyn may not have gotten any, but she will never take the last piece. And that's the life of a mom. She wants someone else to have that because unselfish love is the kind of love that seeks the highest good of the other person. Seeks the highest good of the other person. Here's the passage. In verse 7, we read again, God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power and of love. There's the word. It's the Greek word agape. Now, I think I've already told you that I define that word with two words, which are sacrificial and unconditional. That's the kind of love that God loves you and me with. He sacrificed, and it's unconditional. Doesn't matter how bad I am, God still loves me. Doesn't matter what I look like on the inside, God still loves me because his love is unconditional. And this is the kind of love that seeks the highest good of the other person. See, I think that one of the best things, one of the ways I have always functioned in ministry is that I've wanted to show people that I have their best interest at heart. As long as I have your best interest at heart, I can never go wrong. As long as I am not willing to get selfish in the process. And what does this love look like? It's love that is selfless. It's love when it hurts. It's love when it takes discipline. And sometimes that happens to mothers. They've got to get their schedule nailed down to get this done and this done for their child. It's love when it means staying at the task. That's what mothers do. They stay at the task. So how do you do that? Well, you listen when they hurt. You know, um, our daughter would come in and sit down on the edge of our bed and, and she would talk. Sometimes she would go the wrong place and I would want to jump in. Carolyn would pinch me. Because sometimes we just have to listen when they hurt. And then sometimes we have to hear what they don't say. You know, nobody knows children better than their parents. I know by the expression on the face what's going on in the head. I know by the hand gestures what's going on in the mind. And I can watch their body language. And I can hear what they're not saying. That That's an art, parents, and it's something we can learn to do. And then we need to laugh under pressure. That's not hypocritical. It just means that we understand 
that the pressure isn't the most important thing in our lives. The most important thing in our lives is God and what is he doing. The pressure may be on at the moment, but we still trust God. And we can smile in that process. So you contribute unselfish love. Finally, you contribute self-discipline to your children. And uh, this concept of self-discipline is very important in the lives of our kids. I want my child to be self-disciplined when they are not with me. When they are with someone else, when they are in another place, that's when I want them to be self-disciplined. You know, sometimes there are children, and we had one of them, who, uh, he wasn't perfect. He isn't perfect, as you can tell from his card to his mother. But the one thing Rick would never be willing to do, and that would be disappoint his mom. So it, it put discipline into him. He was self-disciplined. So the passage comes again in verse 7. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And let me say that the word self-discipline there actually means right-minded. In fact, in fact, some translations insert a little bit of that idea in there. To be right-minded. To be in your right mind. <laughs> See, uh, I guess you could say undisciplined people are a little bit out of their mind. Uh, so this idea is to be right-minded, sober-minded, to be temperate, to be discreet. That's what this word means. And when I am in my right mind, it means that I am thinking the way God wants me to think. I'm thinking in the context of that unhypocritical faith that was shown earlier. And as long as I'm doing that, then I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to do the right thing or say the right thing or not. And as a result, we are self-disciplined. Someone has said, you can't be a leader until you have mastered self. And that's a very true concept. Until I can master myself. See, I... uh, Pastor Josh talked about donuts this morning. And I am a donaholic. I have not had one in months because Carolyn has me on a limited number of calories. And I'm doing okay there. Uh, uh, But the fact is, is that when it comes to donuts, if somebody walks in the room with a box of donuts, it's hard for me to discipline. But I do. I will. Because that's self-discipline. I've got to stay in my right mind. So there's the list. It's an interesting list. See, it's difficult. Let me say, it's difficult to be consistent. Yet love needs to have 
the balance of discipline. But there's the list. Transparent tenderness, authentic spirituality, inner confidence, unselfish love, and self-discipline. Irma Bombeck, in one of her books, says, Motherhood takes 180 moving parts, three pairs of hands and three sets of eyes, and the grace of God. A mother's job is a big job. And mothers, we applaud you today because you have a great job to do and you do it well, for which we are thankful uh, So today's a day we celebrate Mother's Day. We also celebrate communion. Maybe this is a day when, as you take communion, you're going to say thank you for mom. Maybe this is a day when you're going to say, Mom, you stay in the seat. I'll bring you communion this morning. Uh, Maybe this is a day when you can say... um, It's time for me to be a better child or a better husband to that mom. And it's an opportunity for you to talk to God in these moments. Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for not only being a great and awesome father but allowing us the privilege of being part of a family the family of God as well as our individual families I thank you father for these mothers they are part of the backbone of every church and I thank you father that you have brought them here. And I would ask you, Father, to encourage them today with some of the ways that they would be able to train up their children and encourage them. We pray, Father, that each of us will work together at the task you have for us so that the Lord Jesus will be magnified and glorified through our families and our church. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.